Spherical cow. Hello there and welcome back to Spherical Cow. So last time I spoke about quark gluon plasma and the era of Big Bang nucleosynthesis. And for the next two episodes I will be talking about the surface of last scattering and cosmic microwave background radiation. So without further ado, take it away Nana. Thanks Olivia. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about um, something called the surface of last scattering, which is quite a cool name, and I'll get onto why it's called that later. But we're kind of going quite a long time now after the Big Bang. So Olivia, I think, was just um, talking about, was it a couple of minutes, Olivia? Yes, we were, we were up to about a couple of minutes, and then we spoke about, yeah. Oh, half an hour, I think you said, yeah. Yes, half an hour of nuclei forming. So not much time. Not much time indeed. Yeah, so now I'm going to skip ahead till around... 380,000 years after the Big Bang. Gosh, that's quite a jump. <laughs> yeah, a big jump. But um, before this time, basically, the universe was, like, really hot. And as Olivia had said, like, lots of nuclei had just, um, not just been formed, but they they were forming and you had electrons. So that meant that you have these positive nuclei because they've got protons and neutrons inside them. And you've got these lots of free electrons all just floating around. But because the temperature is really, really hot until you get to 380,000 years after the Big Bang, because the temperature is so hot, that means that um, they can't form neutral atoms, they can't combine together, so you've just got lots of positive nuclei and free electrons floating around, and those free electrons are actually really good at, and well it kind of depends on how you're looking at, <laughs> at it, they're really good at scattering light, um, because um, because um, free electrons, I think it's something called Thomson scattering, so when a, when a photon comes into the electron it gets scattered off, and I think it's kind of to do with the fact that the electron... I think vibrates at the same or oscillates at the same frequency as the um, photon or the the light that comes in. Sorry, that was a really bad explanation, but no, that makes sense. I get I get what you mean. If you remember a long time ago, we talked about something called Compton scattering, and that that typically takes place at like higher energies, and that's when the um, photon, like the light, behaves as a particle. It's more like balls colliding on um, like on a pool table, but um, at um, this, at this time, it's something called Thompson scattering, which is taking place, and it, you, it can be explained by classical behaviour. So you can think of the light as just a wave, and the wave is kind of exciting the electron to oscillate up and down at the same frequency as the light that came in, but then that light gets scattered off in a different direction. And basically what this means is that um, the light can't travel much. You'd say that the mean free path of of the light is, is very small because when it encounters electron it gets scattered and then it encounters an electron and it gets scattered it, it just keeps getting scattered all the time which means that you can't actually see oh i see so it's kind of like goes back on itself yeah yeah exactly it can't travel that far because it keeps on it's like trapped yes yes exactly trapped is the perfect word so you'd say that at this time the universe was actually opaque because this plasma of positive nuclei and free electrons is just not letting light travel in a great enough difference that it can kind of be emitted or it can't travel freely because it's just being constantly scattered does that kind of make sense whoa that does it's, it's quite hard to wrap your head around trapped light being opaque yeah so it's it's kind of like you're saying the plasma is opaque because it's not letting any light 
go past it because the light is kind of being contained oh, within. I so um, there is an analogy to this, which That's is... That's super weird, yeah, cool. Oh, give it, I'm excited for this analogy. <laughs> <laughs> so you could think of the universe as kind of like an enormous crowd at a concert and like right after the concert when everyone's trying to leave but you've kind of lost your friend and even though they have a flashlight on them because there's so many other people all around them, you just can't see the light coming from them because that light is just getting scattered off everyone in the crowd. So it's kind of like that idea because the light from your friend's um, phone, which they they have on isn't able to reach you isn't able to travel far enough to reach you because it's just being blocked and constantly scattered by all the other people in that enormous crowd so it's kind of the same idea all the free electrons in this plasma of positive nuclei and electrons are just scattering the light everywhere that the light isn't able to travel very far far before being scattered off in a different direction so it's just kind of this big melting pot and you can't really distinguish one light source from another. Yeah, yeah, kind of. So it's just, the, the idea is that it's, um, this plasma is opaque because it doesn't let light travel freely. The light is just being trapped inside this plasma because it's being constantly scattered between those free electrons. And you can call this, um, you can call this plasma actually a photon baryon fluid because it's kind of like the light is constantly being scattered between um, the matter. So baryons are like the protons and the neutrons, and then you also have electrons here. But basically, you can talk about it as one entity because all that light is just being scattered, and they're not really separate. They just keep getting the photons just keep getting constantly um, exchanged between the particles. Um, okay, so it's not like I get it. So the plasma is opaque, and it's all one entity. So you wouldn't talk about light actually being scattering. It's the fact that it can't escape, which makes it opaque. Um, I don't know. I think by I think by you talk about photon baryon fluid because the light is trapped inside the fluid. That's why you can think of them as being. I think it's called like they're kind of coupled together because the light isn't able to travel freely on its own. It's just trapped in between all the electrons in the plasma. So um, and the plasma is. Sorry, I can't get my. He- I sorry, it's taken me a while to get my head around it. But I- no, it's a really no no. It's a really it is a very strange concept. I think I, I get it now. You, so it's just kind of like one entity, kind of. Yes, yes. That's yeah. yeah. Um, but then you come to 380,000 years after the Big Bang, and at this point, the universe reaches a temperature of 3,000 Kelvin, which is finally cool enough for neutral atoms to form. So that what that means is you have the positive nuclei and the electrons, and they join together to form maybe like a hydrogen atom or a helium atom. And because now we've um, created all these neutral atoms, there's not none of these free electrons just like um, zipping about the place, scattering all the light. It means that light is finally finally able to be released. Yay, finally. Yeah, yay. <laughs> That's why I said earlier it depends on how you look at it. If you if you don't want light to be trapped then it's kind of annoying that electrons are scattering all the light, but they are very good at scattering light. Um but anyway, so now that the electrons have been captured essentially into um, finally out the way, thank god. Yes, finally out of the way into ne- now we form neutral atoms. The light is now able to stream more freely and you can say that the photons have decoupled from matter. They they're no longer this one photon baryon fluid entity thing they're now able to travel because there's none of those free electrons and well none probably a couple I imagine floating around but there's way there's way less than before which means that light isn't constantly being scattered it's finally able to be released and this light is what we now observe today as cosmic microwave background radiation Ah, so that's where it all comes from. Yeah, so the reason we actually observe it as microwave radiation nowadays is because, um, as we know, over time the universe has been expanding. So even though the light was um, 
initially at a certain wavelength. Over time, the wavelength of the light has been stretched and stretched and stretched. So nowadays we view it in the microwave region, which is why we call it cosmic microwave background radiation. And um, another name for this like time, this stage in the history of the universe is known as the surface of last scattering. And that's because it's kind of like the, the surface in time when light went, when light went from being scattered all the time between free electrons to being able to travel. So it's kind of like that, that critical condition, I guess. Ah, so it's their final moment of being scattered to their release. <laughs> yes, because now we get lots of neutral atoms being formed. Um, so... I, I think I'll, I'll talk a bit now about how cosmic microwave background radiation was actually first observed because it's a really interesting story. So um, I mentioned before there were um, some scientists called Alpha and Gamma. Who they, they were involved in um, a paper. They talked about a paper to do with the origin of chemical elements, which Olivia um, touched on last time. And th these um, scientists come back again. They're really important because in the late 1940s, um, it was Ralph Alpha, Robert Herman, he's another um, scientist, and they were w both working with George Gamma. And they realised that just before the universe became transparent, sorry, I forgot to say that, when light is able to freely stream through the universe, now you can say that the universe is transparent, it's not opaque anymore. So it goes from being opaque to transparent, got it. Yes, exactly. So when the universe became transparent, um, Alpha, Herman and Gamma thought that it must have been radiating like a black body at a temperature of around 3000 Kelvin. And, and this was the temperature at which atoms could finally begin to form, which is why the photons were able to be released. And uh, you might remember like a long time ago, Olivia talked about the ultraviolet catastrophe. And she mentioned these things called black bodies, which are ba basically this um, something which is a perfect absorber and a perfect emitter. And they emit um, all different wavelengths, all different frequencies of light at certain intensities. And you can kind of graph what um what likes um wavelength has it like the the intensity of different yeah what region of the em spectrum the black body emits uh, most intensely yes yes exactly so and um depending on the temperature of the black body um the object that we're talking about you you'll get the peak of the spectrum in a different area so um, Alpha, Herman and Gamma thought at, at the time you'd see a black body at a temperature of around 3000 Kelvin. But nowadays, because of the universe having expanded, I think it's around 100, I'm sorry, not 100, 1000 times, the temperature of the universe is now around 3 Kelvin or 2.7, I think. Um, and that means that the that peak, that the most intense wavelength that you observe is now in the microwave region because it's been shifted down because the wavelength of the light has been getting longer and longer as the universe has expanded. Oh, that's a cool link. Does that mean, Nina, that in like millions, millions, billions of years time that it might be to the aliens known as cosmic radio like radio <laughs> yeah rain. possibly yeah. yeah i think so i think that would make sense if it just carries on getting stretched and stretched um and um so what alpha herman and gamma um thought was that nowadays we should probably see um the radiation um, as like a the it should look like the spectrum of a black body at three kelvin now because of the universe expanding so it's cooled down way more so whereas at the time it would be a black body at three thousand kelvin now you'd expect the radiation to be the um, you'd expect it to be like to resemble that of a three k black body yes exactly that makes sense yeah yes but um, I think their theory kind of get um, kind of got pushed to the side but then in the 1960s um some other scientists came along so um actually one of one of the scientists in the 1960s his name was james peebles he actually won the nobel prize in 2019 um for his 
for his theoretical discoveries in physical cosmology and in the 1960s he he teamed up with Robert Dick and David Wilkinson um, I think they were working at Princeton University and they I think they were building on the work of Alpha Herman and Gamma and kind of redoing some calculations and they also believed that we should be able to te- detect this radiation from the beginning of the universe so they were kind of um, wondering oh they really really wanted to find this because they believed it must be out there and Quite funnily, um, down the road at Bell Labs, um, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson, um, they were trying, this is completely unrelated, they were just trying to do some astronomy and they had this microwave detector and they were just really annoyed because they kept finding this weird background hum in whatever direction they pointed it at. And because they kept finding this hum in every single direction at, I think, the same intensity, they thought it must be the fault of their instrument because normally, normally in astronomy you'd expect the, the source, this radiation to be most intense at um, a certain point, like maybe when you're pointing at the sun, you might expect the radiation to be strongest. You wouldn't expect it to be the same everywhere, which is why they thought it must be something wrong with their instrument rather than something coming from space. So they spent like a really long time like thinking about all the possible ways um, their instrument could be be faulty and they, they, they saw there were some like, I think there were some pigeons inside nesting in the antenna of their of their detector <laughs> and they thought they might be causing the, the hum and... The source of this ominous all-present <laughs> Yeah, so they, I think they tried clearing out, I think there was lots of pigeon poo, I think they tried clearing <laughs> that out and they just couldn't get rid of this hum. And um, this is where it, I think it becomes really funny. Um, a completely unrelated physicist now, someone called Ken Turner, he just heard a talk by Jim Peebles about this background radiation that they were, they, they theorised, and he was chatting to another astronomer called Bernard B- Burke about um, about this cool um, physics that Peebles had been ta- talking about. And then Burke, on a completely unrelated call to Penzias, so Penzias is um, the person working with the um, the microwave detector with the, with the pigeon poo in it he's, yeah with the hum he's, yeah with the hum he was just talking to burke about just some other physics and just happened to mention this annoying hum that he and wilson kept experiencing and burke um told um Pens, yes, oh, it might be good. You should probably talk to, to Robert Dick and Jim, um, James Peebles and um, David Wilkinson at, at Princeton. It might be good to talk to them. So um, so Penzias contacted Dick and the others and he basically told them about this hum they were observing everywhere. And as soon as Robert Dick put the phone down, he turned to Peebles and Wilkinson, his colleagues at Princeton, and said, oh, we've been scooped because he realised they found the radiation before them. So the oh, thing... Whoa. So the, so the thing that... Go on, go on. So the people who were actually trying to to find this thing couldn't find it, but yes. these other two scientists who were trying to study something else were actually hearing this hum, which was proof of this cosmic background radiation. Yes, and they it, thought it was a mistake in their equipment. That's crazy. Yes, exactly. It was an accidental discovery, and it must have been so annoying for Robert Dick, Peebles, and um, Wilkinson because they'd been trying to find this radiation for so long. They were the ones who'd been working on theory, and then um, Penzias and Wil- Wilson, who were doing something completely unrelated, just stumble across it because Whoa. their detector just kept showing this weird hum. And to think they were trying so hard to get rid of it, they even scooped out pigeon poo. That's quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they actually um, won the Nobel Prize, Penzias and Wilson, in 1978 for the observation of the first observation of cosmic microwave background radiation, um, which I think is which is kind of annoying because I guess Peebles and Wilkinson and Dick were actually the ones working on it. But oh, that's a bit that's quite unfair. It, yeah, um, it, it is what it is. But I thought that was a really funny story how it kind of went through all these different physicists and they finally realised, oh no, they've got there before us. <laughs> 
Oh, that's a great story. That must have hurt quite a lot. But yeah. I guess that's how it is. They were the first to, to you know, notice it, yeah. to find it. Yeah. yeah, even if they had no idea what it was and just thought it was some weird signal because of the pigeon poo in their microwave yeah. detector. Well, it's amazing how many scientific discoveries actually stumble upon by accident. I mean, the most famous is probably penicillin, right? That yeah, was, I was just yeah. thinking that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah th- I think that is really cool how lots of discoveries just, just happen by accident. I think mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um yeah, so they, they first observed this microwave background radiation in around the 1960s and they won their Nobel Prize in 1978. And, sorry, since then, there's been lots more um, research into the cosmic microwave background, trying to map it more and more accurately. So I think um, the Cosmic Background Explorer satellites, so the COBE um, satellite project, they they did an image of the, the first rays of light in the universe so essentially the cosmic microwave background radiation and they got those people got a Nobel Prize for that in 2006 and then over time some other satellites such as the Wilkinson microwave anisotropy probe which is WMAP and also the European Planck satellite they've also been refining this portrait of the young universe because that's essentially what the cosmic microwave background radiation is it's it's this glimpse into what the universe looked like at the instant of 380,000 years after the Big Bang. And it's, it's so strange because we can't see anything before that because, as we mentioned, that light was just trapped inside. Um, and this is like the first glimpse at what the universe looked like, which is why it's just so cool. And um, something interesting in this cosmic microwave background map, which I think I think I mentioned this last time, was it's it's pretty it's pretty smooth like on large scales the universe does seem similar when you look in all directions and we explained that that's because of inflation kind of taking this tiny bit of the universe and inflating it really rapidly into this into what we know is the observable universe now so that all of those regions of space that we observe now were actually once connected and that's why we see um on large scales if we look at the cosmic microwave background radiation the temperature is pretty much the same except there are these fluctuations um, which I think are um, very I think it's one part in a hundred thousand um, and so you've got it's pretty pretty um, pretty smooth but you've also got these tiny fluctuations and those fluctuations are really important and I'll, I'll talk a bit that about those a bit later and I, I quite liked the analogy um, I, I saw an analogy it's kind of like the, the waves on an ocean, they look really smooth from a distance, which is kind of like what the cosmic microwave background radiation looks like. But when you zoom in, when you get into the finer details of things, you see all the ripples on the surface. So that's kind of like the fluctuations in the map. Ooh, that's cool. That's a nice analogy. Yeah. Um, so as, as we mentioned, the cosmic microwave background radiation should resemble... Um, like a black body at three Kelvin, and that's exactly what you do when you measure the intensity of the cosmic microwave background at every single frequency or every single wavelength, and you plot this on a graph. You get a near perfect black body. I think it's like the most perfect black body like we've ever um, observed. Wow. Um, so I think that's really cool that the cosmic microwave background radiation, when you look at its all the the wavelengths that it's emitting and the, the intensities, you get a pretty much perfect black body for three Kelvin, and that's because, as we said, it's cooled from three thousand Kelvin at 380,000 years after the Big Bang to 3 Kelvin now because the universe has expanded by 1,000 times and decreased in temperature. So there's actually um, another interesting thing about the cosmic microwave background radiation is that um, when you when you look at the sky, obviously there's loads of structure everywhere in the universe. We can see lots of galaxies, we can see lots of stars. Um, and it, it wouldn't make sense if, um, if the universe was um, extremely uniform and it was just this like hot ball of fire that just cooled and it was just uniform everywhere you wouldn't expect there to be clumps of galaxies clumps of stars because you wonder how, how did they form 
Well, um, the cosmic microwave background radiation, the fact that there are all these fluctuations in the cosmic microwave background um, makes sense because we'd expect there to be fluctuations um, so that these areas of slightly higher temperature, slightly lower temperature, and um, and that, that also in turn means that you have varying densities of, um, of the universe. So in some areas it might be slightly more dense, some areas it might be slightly less dense. Because of those different differences in density in the universe, you'd expect there to for matter to start clumping together in the more dense ones and then gradually building and building and building so you get stars and then you get galaxies and you get clusters of galaxies so um without those ripples in the cosmic microwave background it, it just wouldn't make sense why we have galaxies why we can observe them because they kind of need something i guess to latch onto and you can see the fluctuations in the cosmic microwave background radiation and i think when you when you compare like a simulation of um what you think would happen if, if you do like a simulation, I think using cosmic microwave background radiation like information and look at how the universe should look today, you get like amazing agreement with what we observe. So um, basically what I'm trying to say <laughs> in a roundabout way is um, the fluctuations on the cosmic microwave background radiation are just really important because they show that there must have been these places, these patches of slightly higher density, slightly lower density, and those were what gave way to the stars and galaxies and this, the, I think it's called like the kind of the cosmic web of galaxies that we observe today. So without those fluctuations, we wouldn't have all the large scale structures we see, which I think is really cool. That's really amazing. Who knew fluctuations were so important? <laughs> yeah and, and just to um to just to recap those fluctuations the reason they were set down in the first place was because of inflation as we mentioned i think we said that because inflation was caused by this quantum field called the inflaton and um you can just get these these things called quantum fluctuations and then during inflation they kind of got blown up so they were a bit more um substantial still not very substantial because as i said the the temperature fluctuations are only one part in a hundred thousand but they were definitely big enough for there to be these um areas which are slightly hotter and slightly colder and um, slightly more dense and slightly less dense and these areas they like pave the way for the um, formation of the large-scale structures that we see today. So I think that's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much Nana. it's been so interesting. Um, so you've talked about what cosmic microwave background radiation is, how it was discovered, um, and we've also discussed how patterns in the CMBR match our current observations of the universe today. And next time I will actually be talking about the same period of history of the universe, so still talking about 380,000 years after the Big Bang, but um, next time I'll be looking at some sound waves which were formed at this time and how studying these oscillations in more detail can actually tell us about what the universe is made of. Wow, that sounds really, really interesting. Um, so it's goodbye for now from Spherical Cow. Spherical Cow.